You are listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast, episode number 30, brought to you by actionfigureblues.com. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben. And John. We're three guys who collect action figures, statues, and other items from the worlds of comics and pop culture, and we like them so much we made this podcast just to talk about them. This episode, after our regular features, we'll be sitting down with our special guest, sculptor Mark Newman. Here we are again, and thanks for joining us. We have reached the 30-episode milestone. And how are we this evening, gentlemen? Ben, how are you? Uh, not too bad, all things considered. Yeah, and what have you been up to in the, the last week or so? Well, for most of today, uh, fighting with my internet connection. Uh, after a very reliable connection for quite some time, uh, my internet just suddenly died and... Uh, yeah, I spent probably a good seven hours today fighting with settings and talking to uh, my ISP support and that sort of thing, and it actually turned out to be them and not me. So, um, yeah, it was coming down to the wire for the podcast and uh, managed to get it all up and running about 40 minutes ago, so that was a bit of a win. It's always reassuring, at least when it turns out to not be you, doesn't it? Well, it actually took my third call to the support guys before the, the, the third fellow I spoke to actually said, oh, it's actually us. It's <laughs> it's not authenticating your account, your mm. credentials. And so, hmm, okay. So that, you know, you know, validated it a little bit, but um, still huge pain. I was yeah. um, starting to get quite uh, fidgety and that being separated from the internet for so long. It It is a distressing experience, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and Mrs. Shake is away at the moment, and she called up and and uh, was met with me swearing at the modem router, and uh, <laughs> she, I ended up saying, "Look, I've got to go because I've got to go and call MacGyver." <laughs> and John, how are you, and what have you been up to? Oh, I'm I'm pretty good. Um, been a kind of a couple busy weeks. Uh, life's been throwing things at me, so um, and we have a new puppy in the house, so that's kind of causing some some you know. <laughs> Odd scheduling things. <laughs> <laughs> Odd scheduling things. Yes, that's yes. one way. Of putting what, it. what about you, Scott? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm okay. It's getting to that you know tricky end of term time for us because my wife is a teacher as well as I, and so we kind of you know have that same busy time. But one week to go before we get a break, which is good. Um, and we've kind of survived this whole period of sickness where we had one or another family member feeling rather poorly for about a month um so it's we're finally out of that but we have had a sick puppy this week um uh-huh. yeah who just went off his food well <clears throat> he went he's he's about eight months old um or maybe a little bit more we rescued him before just before christmas last year and uh he went out in the car with mum on Monday to pick up his older human sisters from horse riding and uh, got out and had a run around in a swamp. Uh. Yes, and we think that he ate something like 
a frog or I don't know, but it really, really was not interested in food for about three days. And right when we were starting to say, I think it needs to go to the vet, he started eating again. So, Frogs. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, the joys of the furry family members, it's all good. Well, this wouldn't is, trade it. No, wouldn't trade it. That's right. They're very, they bring a lot of joy don't they? Well, this is going to be a a special episode for us. We won't have a Toy of the Week this week because we have a guest, and we're going to be talking to sculptor Mark Newman at the end of the show, and we're greatly looking forward to it. So without further ado, let's get things started with some articulated news. Mego presents the Star Trek action figures featuring the crew of the Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, their fearless leader. Dr. Bones McCoy, caring for the health of the Enterprise crew. Scotty, the chief engineer, in charge of the transporter room. Mr. Spock, the Vulcan, second in command. And the Klingon, enemy of the Star Trek crew. Star Trek action figures, complete with accessories shown. Each sold separately from Mego. Before we get to our main features, we start each episode with a bit of news. Articulated news is where we discuss the latest events and announcements in the toy and collectibles world. We're not a comprehensive toy news service. These are just the stories that relate to the things that we're interested and caught our eye this week. And, John, you've got our first bits of news, so over to you. Yeah, you know, you guys, uh, all the talk about statues you guys have, I've been kind of paying a little bit more attention. And um, one of the things I had noticed was uh, Sideshow Collectibles had posted pictures of their upcoming Captain Jack Sparrow premium format statue. And I have to say that these are pretty good-looking pictures. Um, I love the base on this. It's like the stairwell going up to the mm-hmm. ship wheel, and he just looks really well done. He's got the shrunken head and all the little doodads that you would expect on Captain Jack. <laughs> it is nice, absolutely. And, and the face is just perfect on that. I, I'm really impressed. It's um the the amount of detail is just amazing. The the I mean the coat is looks great as it is, but just all these little bits and pieces, the the pistol sticking out of his belt and the sash hanging off, and uh, I mean that's just um, insane detail. And I actually agree with the pose. I think it's the kind of statue that uh, you know every couple of months you could just rotate slightly and and just get a completely completely different look or um, you could from, have it, from the statue. You could have it like on a a, a a rotating base and it could just like rotate around slowly all the time. Yeah, no. Okay. I could make that happen. Awesome. <laughs> it's awfully pricey at uh, $380. I mean, I wonder if this is the new sort of price point for, for that kind of premium format figure. I That or it's just because of the complexity of it. I but you yeah, that thing mm. yeah. has a ton of pieces to it. So some of the Marvel premium formats are getting up to that with um, far less detail and you know, cloth pieces because that's um, you know, really when you look at the boots, the base, as you said, the the jacket, everything there. Um, it, it really makes some of the more recent Marvel stuff that they're doing um, look pretty cheap by comparison. Yeah, and it, because it's premium format, I assume that you'll get some kind of swap-out hands or even a different head or something, so that sort of gives you a bit more value. i got to yeah, say... I, lo- I love the bronze base, too. That's oh, yeah, another that's cool hmm. feature there underneath everything. I've got, I got to say, like, I think that, you know, this... Um, 
this whole series and this role is what really made me realize what a great actor Johnny Depp is. Even though he, you know, hams it up like he, he, he's so funny. He's so funny. He's such a good actor, and and I think this is going to be a role that he will long be remembered for. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely the best actor of this generation. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of actors of uh, note, um, the second bit of news I have is from uh, the Hollywood Collectibles Group, and they posted pictures of a work in progress of a Captain Picard statue. And uh, this is him in his next-gen outfit, and uh, he's sitting at his command chair with the little consoles beside him. And uh, I have to say it looks pretty good. Oh, it's a great likeness. Yeah, he's uh, he's certainly got one of those visages that uh, if you get it slightly off, it really does show. And they seem to be getting a pretty good um, pretty good likeness going. When you look in profile, the the photo of him in profile in particular, it's just an excellent um, excellent likeness of, of Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Does it have a, yeah. a idea of what the price point for this is going to be? I didn't see that on here. No, it doesn't um, I, I just I, I picked up on it on on Twitter and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Not not small one six scale statue, like you know, for a Star Trek piece, it's not small. No, I mean it's six scale, so you know that's that's a twelve inch figure, so mm-hmm. I, I don't imagine it'll be cheap. No, it's Jim Maddox though. He's a great sculptor. Great yeah. sculptor. Very nice. So Ben, what about you? You've got some news today. Yeah, we've finally got a our first decent look at Necker's uh, Prometheus Series 1 figures. And we say Series 1, but there's only two <laughs> figures in Series 1. And that is the engineer, uh, that is the Prometheus engineer, not the uh, AFB podcast engineer, um, <laughs> wearing his precious suit. And the other is kind of the, I guess, I mean, they call it the chair suit, but effectively it is the space jockey figure standing up, which is kind of interesting given that, you know, for so many years we've only ever seen him sitting down. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, they're, they're not bad-looking figures. I, I don't understand why in the promo shot they've actually got the engineer standing behind one of the alien eggs and it says alien egg not included, but the <laughs> alien egg actually obscures half the figure. So uh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the figure's nicely done. I think it looks a little interesting around the hip area. It's got very sort of... Uh, Hmm, how can we say this um, very matronly hips <laughs> going on? Well, it's um, it's almost like the Diamond Select, uh, Marvel Select hips. You know, th- those hips are so wide. It's a similar kind of um, structure, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the space jockey, and he's a very solid-looking individual. He does look quite bulky. Um, he doesn't look sleek at all, but I guess given the film they were, and well, I mean the engineer we saw um, at the beginning of the film was a, quite a muscular guy and if they uh, if that's what they're all like inside these suits then you'd probably expect them to be pretty bulky. So um, I'm, I'm not completely sold on the uh, the precious suit, um, or sorry, just the, the plane engineer, but mm. certainly the, the space jockey um, looks pretty darn good. So, but He looks a little know. squat to me. I mean like and that might just be the picture. He doesn't look long enough mm. compared to, you yeah. know. It, it does look like, the, the photo does look like it's been taken from a fairly high angle. Um, but, I mean, look, this is the sort of thing that I, I wait till I see them in hand before I decide. But uh, I enjoy the movie and I, I do like, 
both Ridley Scott and the Aliens franchise. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be likely to See, pick I, I this one up. If I had either a Dersdorf or fallen into one of the massive gaps of logic in this film by the time the engineer... Ner- I nearly said engineer nerd. <laughs> the engineer appeared like this, but I, I don't remember all that that kind of exoskeleton-y detail. Like, when when did he look like this in the film? Uh, which one, the uh, the engineer or the guy in the, the space jockey suit? The engineer. Like, you know, he's got that whole kind of exoskeleton thing, the one that's popping out of the egg. Uh, I, <laughs> like, I, I don't remember them looking he, like that in the film. Yeah, he, he looks like the one that they woke up at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think my eyes had probably rolled rolled into the back of my head by that point. So, <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was a great film. Uh, so uh, I'll be definitely checking these out. I, but um, I liked it too, speaking the... of uh, impressive pieces, um, the new uh, Indiana Jones Pursuit of the Ark statue. Uh, when I saw this on one of the uh, one of the news sites. I, I just saw the title and I thought, oh, this would be interesting. I wonder what it is. And I clicked on it and, wow, it's a statue and a half. It's mm-hmm. uh, Indy basically riding uh, a horse. And so it's obviously from Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, in that scene when they're in Cairo and he, he takes off after the truck, etc. So it's uh, Indy in full sort of horse riding mode with the, the horse rearing up a little bit and Indy hanging on, and it's very, very impressive indeed. Um, it's got to be I'm huge. I'm dreading to see the suggested retail price on that one. This is going to be huge, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, even if it's one on six scale, it's going to be a big statue. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of is the uh, the painting of Napoleon on a horse. Yes. Uh... <laughs> that's That's what I thought of when I saw the picture. I was like, oh, that reminds me of that Napoleon painting. Yeah, yeah. I think just because the horse is so dramatic in it, you know, it, yeah, with his head pulled back. Definitely for the diehard Indiana Jones collector. Uh, look, I'm very keen to see this one painted. If they if they really bring their A game with uh, the color scheme and that sort of thing, it'd be something I'll I'll consider. Really? Oh, damn! Damn you and your payment plan sideshow. <laughs> Well, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favourite movie of all time. Okay. So, well, you, you can put it next to your, you know, Terminator to exoskeleton. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I think the uh, the bad guys are starting to outnumber the good guys, so that could be excuse enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's cool. Well, I've got a couple of bits of news as well, and the first is that we are getting another set of convention exclusive Alpha Flight Mini Mates. So the San Diego set had Guardian, Marina, Puck, and North Star. And now there's going to be a second set at New York Comic Con that will have Aurora, Satsquatch, Snowbird, and well, it says Talisman, but that looks like Shaman to me. Um, although, did he become Talisman later on? Did he change his name to Talisman? Uh, quite possibly. (laughs) Okay, I'll be the Alpha Flight expert here. I think he did. (laughs) Um, so, you know, that's cool to see that we're getting a full, full team. And now I definitely want to track down that first, um, set. I kind of left it waiting to see whether or not there would be, um, a second one. And there is. So this is great. I'm not totally sold on the Sasquatch. 
No, that's the one that definitely jumped out at me. Uh, if that's to scale, I'd be a little disappointed because uh, I think Sasquatch is, uh, you know, don't mind me getting out my Marvel Universe handbook, but I think he's meant to be about 10 feet tall. So, um, yeah. Someone's got to complain now. Ah, no doubt. I have to give him something. <laughs> um, he, he looks a little, like, too rusty color. He should be a little more orange, I yeah. would have thought. And also too smooth in the body. Yeah, yeah he's meant to be that. Hair. Yeah, he's meant to be that sort of Chewbacca, sort of shaggy thing. Maybe he's been like manscaping. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we'll get a uh, Wendigo repaint oh, at some point of that figure. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I got, you got to give Minimates credit. They just pump out, you know, and I mean stuff that. You know, we're never going to see most of these characters in Marvel Legends or even Marvel Universe, you know, and they just pump them out. It's great. Love it. And in other news, a bit different, we, we tend to cover a little bit of Game of Thrones stuff, even though I don't think any of us collect it. But I thought this was you know, quite interesting that um, Funko's pop vinyl line, which seems to have a license for absolutely everything, oh, don't they? has picked up a Game of Thrones license. And so far... We have seen a, um, a Tyrion, a White Walker, Daenerys. How do you say that? Targaryen. 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 Um, Ned, the Hound, and Cal Drogo. So good grief! That's a, a lot of them already. They um, they look quite good actually. For I mean, you know, for, for what they are. If you're into Game of Thrones, this is uh, you know, cl- close as you're going to get to a complete set at the moment. Yes, and you can thank the AFB podcast for this one because uh, it was us that mentioned that there wasn't any Game of Thrones merchandise, and since we said that, it's been coming out sort of pretty thick and fast. That's right. So I will just put out there again, you know, the Jersey and the Pussycats license is um, still up for grabs, and, uh, you know, come on, someone, hello. I'll have to buy that for your birthday. (laughs) Oh, the license? (laughs) You know, I I showed this link to... Mrs. Nerd, and she was remarking on the fact that uh, Tyrion's a little bit too tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is a, a bit of a, um, you know, one of the failings of the um, uh, Funko lines is that the scale is not really a, an option. <laughs> yes. Everyone's three and three quarter. Everybody. All right. Well, that wraps up Articulated News. We will be right back with the next installment of the AFP podcast game, Name That. Hi, my name is... Now it's time for everybody's favorite podcast game, Name That. Our good friend John, who has his own website, which is tvandfilmtoys.com, presents us with an action figure sound or a commercial, and the aim of the game is to guess where it's from. So over to you, John. And last week, um, we went with the commercial-type sound, and it sounded something like this. John heads across the desert in search of the mysterious missing mummy. Suddenly, an earthquake. No time to lose. So, guys, um, any guesses on what that commercial happened to be from? Uh, no, it's like you can kind of almost get it, but not quite. Um, I'm going to say Jaws. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's from um, the G.I. Joe Secret of the, the Mummy's Tomb so with the close. ATV where he's going out across the desert to find the uh, oh. the hidden mummy case and the little six-wheel ATV. Oh, okay. That's, cool. that, that's one of my favorite things that I probably don't have in my collection, but so, I, I remember because I had the book and record as a kid. So, What sort of vintage is that commercial? How old is it? Probably mid-70s. Oh, wow. Mm. I, I don't think I've ever seen a G.I. Joe toy commercial. Oh, well, I'll have to hook you up here a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just It's something that has never, ever been uh, prominent in Australia. So, John, you've got a new sound for us. Yes, I do. And as always, you know, I like to do something live on the air whenever I'm, I'm on here. So um, this week's sound sounds something like... And we'll, you want to hear it one more time? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Hmm. As always, um, I'll entertain guesses at the at the forum, and uh, you know, I'll I'll make rude comments if you guess wrong or something. <laughs> Because you're so encouraging. Maybe I'll give donuts to people to get it right. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for that, John. Well, coming up next, we'll be talking about the new items that we have added to our collections this week. Open the jar, Riz. The powers of evil control Castle Grayskull. Oh, yeah, Dad, watch Ram Impel. I'll get us inside, He-Man. Ram Man, He-Man, and Castle Grayskull, each sold separately. You have to put the castle together. Ram Man, use your head. I just did. Not that way. We have a prisoner. Good. Who's the prisoner? You are, because we have the power. Oh, no. Ram Man and He-Man from the Masters of the Universe collection, each sold separately. Castle Grayskull also sold separately from Mattel. We're all here because we collect, so Feeding the Addiction is where we take time to check in with each other and discuss any new acquisitions or pre-orders that we've made. And, Ben, we're going to start with you. What new has come into your home this week? I got quite a shock this week when I went to my local Toys R Us, and I usually browse with... uh, no particular gusto, because I'm usually never surprised to see anything new. And sure enough, they actually had the Marvel Legends Wave 3, as they're being called, which I think is technically more like Marvel Legends Wave 20 or something. But uh, <laughs> this is the Kitbash wave that I think they've kind of snuck in because the, the next wave of figures is still some way off. And uh, being a Marvel Legends fan, I'm, I'm quite keen. I was quite uh, excited to see them. But... I get all my figures through uh, Mike S, shameless plug there. Um, So I already had these on order with Mike, and uh, they are actually on their way. But the one figure in this particular wave that I passed on was the Punisher, um, simply because we've already had a number of Punisher figures, and I just didn't feel the need to to add another one. But actually seeing this figure in the flesh, so to speak, I was actually really impressed with the, uh, the, the head sculpt that they've done. Um, the rest of the figure is definitely a, a kit bash. We've seen that buck used over and over again. He's wearing a trench coat that we got with uh, the ultimate Nick Fury, etc. But um, this one's based on supposedly on a, a Jim Lee style from, uh, if you, anyone remembers, the he did the covers to punish a war journal mm-hmm. way, 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 way back. And the reason I ended up getting it other than just the head sculpt was the fact that even though he's got the white boots, which I'm going to paint black, and he's got a white belt, which I'll also uh, do some detailing on, I think 
once I make a few little changes, um, he'll look very, very close to the Tim Bradstreet version of the Punisher that we got on all those great painted covers for uh, Punisher Max. So, um, yeah, so I had a Toys R Us gift card that had been uh, gathering dust in my wallet for quite some time, so I decided to pick him up. And the other thing I got was my uh, DC Infernal Crisis Mirror Master figure turned up as well. So, and yeah, I'm pretty pleased. It's not a bad figure. And for the rest of the toy collecting population that means the dc club infinite earths oh yes that one yeah <laughs> just yeah going back to the punisher and how you were saying you weren't originally going to buy it don't you think part of it is here in australia we get so few chances to actually see things at retail that when you do finally see something you just can't help but buy something yeah well that's exactly right i I got the Toys R Us gift card and I, I stormed into Toys R Us to get the Lego Millennium Falcon. And even though I said I was never going to get any Star Wars Lego, <laughs> uh, I, I, I charged in to get it and uh, they had a sale on at the time. And by the time the card actually turned up, uh, it was the day after the sale finished and they didn't have any left. So And they never restocked them. So I've had it in my wallet for about three months just going, meh, meh. Every time I went in there, so I thought, oh, well, well you know, I complain loudly enough when they never get anything, so I did my bit this week. Good on you. Well, at least you're, you know, at least you're fair. At least you're fair. I got a couple of new things. I wasn't on the show last week, so I had a fortnight, and I got two new um, statues from DC Collectibles. I got the Cyborg New 52 Mini Bust. Which um, I actually quite like. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not um, buying a lot of the new Fifty Two statue stuff that's coming out. But Cyborg is a first time character to bust or statue, and so you know, and and he's not that radically different that he doesn't fit alongside the um, old universe stuff. So I got that. Quite like it. Um, and I also I. I cherry pick from the batman black and white statue series and i got the darwin cook version of the batman black and white which i really like i love darwin cook and um it's just a a great piece that really captures the um his style of art and his batman is fantastic and i got my club infinite earth's mirror master as well and was it actually in decent shape? Because I think you mentioned when your the previous figure turned up that the box was damaged. Yeah, the, I, I've had a bit of a bad run because I have a, a um, I have four Club Infinite Earth subscriptions thanks to a Magic Collector snafu, and often if it's packaged in with other stuff, they throw it in a big box and don't give it any padding. But this month there was no Masters of the Universe, uh, no Club Eternia figure. So it was just my four Mirror Masters, so they arrived all safe and sound. <laughs> yes. That's good. Yes, so Australia Post or US or whoever does it um, did not get a chance to batter them in the way that they seem to like to. <laughs> that means you could set up like a really cool flash diorama with like four Mirror Masters. I actually thought of that. I mean, one, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that is, that's <laughs> actually a very clever idea. Um, Justin is buying one of my subscriptions from me, so I would only have two more. Um, and uh, I probably really should sell the other two because, <laughs> you know, the children like to eat. And... Oh, jeez, that happened. So demanding. 
blah blah blah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, oh, I actually also in that I, I have the Voltron subscription. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> I haven't put, opened any of them. I think I'll probably wait till I've got all of the Voltron um, bits from this year and then sell them all. Um, so I did get the. I think it was the blue one that came out now. Um, yeah, so I got the blue Voltron Lion as well. Cool. John, cool. what about you? Well, I was at Toys R Us, and I didn't get anything, but I was cutting over from the action figure side over to the Lego side. And when I did that, I had to go through the girl section. <laughs> did, was, you get, did you get germs or cooties? <laughs> I think I got some cooties along the way. Oh, man. And I, I went down the Barbie aisle because it was the fastest oh. way to get there. And on the Barbie aisle, they had Barbies of the world, and they had the Australian Barbie. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, I just can't wait. Biggest description. <laughs> and well, she's got the the bush jacket on, and the 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 hat, and you know, cargo shorts. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I just can't see. I can't see Scott dressing like that. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I have to ask I have to ask two questions really. One, are you guys offended by this? And two, what would the American Barbie for Australia be? Oh wow. Um, I, I need well, to know about the hat. Yeah. I need to know about the hat first of all. Did it have little corks dangling from uh, it? That was my question. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Okay. Then I'm no I'm not offended. <laughs> Um, one of the interesting things uh, with Australia is we we haven't been around that long, uh, and we obviously are quite a multicultural country, especially after World War Two. And what's really interesting is I always feel sorry for like those Miss Universe contestants when uh, they're representing their country, and and you see in the uh, in one particular event, I, I can't remember what it's called, and they all dress in their their national their country um, dress, and and so uh, you see you know the Rio de Janeiro, they come out with the, the feathers and all that sort of thing. <laughs> the poor old Australian always comes out in the the long dryzer bone jacket with the the big brimmed Akubra hat, and you just think, oh Jesus, this is the best we can do, really. <laughs> Somebody get us a national costume, honestly. It's um, yeah. But yeah. on the uh, on the American side, like like you asked, it's interesting because my kids have a multicultural day at school on Monday, and they are meant to come dressed as something from their cultural heritage. So they want to go as Amer- like you know American dress, and we're kind of having the same issue of like what what does it mean to dress up as an American. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and I, I can't answer it. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's blue jeans and a t-shirt for me. Well, you know, exactly. if, if I'm not at work. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's yeah. not different from us, really. Like, it's I was like, well, I suppose you you know, put your baseball cap on backwards and. Yeah, I, I mean, if you don't have a a sporting jersey of some description on, then maybe you could just swing the other way and have the the hip hop pants that are um you know, that are held up around your thighs. Yeah, that doesn't work at my age. (laughs) (laughs) The other option, of course, is that you are dressed in something that is red, white, and blue and uh, some kind of regalia like that that's over the top. Yeah, we only see that around 4th of July here. That's about the only time you see a lot of that. Uh, I would think – I don't know that I've ever seen an American, you know, Barbie, but I would think that it would probably be dressed in a a red, white, and blue sort of – 
Hatrin, that's probably as close as they would get. Yeah. It, it's actually a little difficult for Australians because we, we often spend a lot of time trying to counter the misconceptions about Australia that we all live in the outback. And, I mean, from both where Scott and I live, the outback is is quite some distance away where you're talking thousands of kilometres um, to get to the outback as it's known. And uh, I've certainly only ever seen it a couple of times when I was younger, um, especially that outback as it's perceived in things like uh, Crocodile Dundee. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's a little harder to fight off the stereotype of kangaroos because uh, certainly the city that I live in uh, is surrounded by uh, forest or bushland as we call it and we have high populations of kangaroos and uh, I think about 60% of the the work that uh, auto repairers or smash repairers do is actually caused from hitting kangaroos. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's very true. Well, do you, you know, last week when I was driving into the city on early Saturday morning because I do a sport team for my school, um, I nearly ran into a seal on the road. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, I'm you know, driving kind of up the, the coastal road, but still, like, he was a fair way in from the, the, the beach. I have no idea what he was doing there, but um, people stopped. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't stop because I kind of got – I thought it was a dog. You know, I was like, oh man, there's a dog in the road. And then I was like, holy heck, that's a seal. Um, but I, I did actually see in the news that he had gone to the zoo for a rest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So, no, no, no kangaroos in um here in here in Melbourne. Well, I mean, where I, where I am, but you know, the occasional seal. Well, yes. Good. <laughs> actually, that reminds me of a very funny story, which I feel I have to share. My my wife spent a, a fair bit of time in India about twenty years ago with the mission organization that we um that we met in, and they were trying to explain to this Indian fellow um, that you know, the problem with driving with kangaroos because they jump all over the place and they can be extremely unpredictable, and uh, you know that they bounce everywhere. And uh, he was completely nonplussed and said to them, "Oh yes, yes, we have the same problem with elephants." <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. They bounce everywhere and they're you know, very sudden. And he was like, oh, yes, yes. So elephants are just the same. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's our cultural sensitivity hour here on the Action Figure Blues podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, you didn't actually have any um, new toys to report, did you? No, I I passed on the, the couple of things I saw. I was just, uh, you know, yeah. Not in the mood. Just, just didn't yeah, think just, Barbie looked authentic enough. No, no. They, I, I'm waiting on the uh, Breaking Dawn Part Two Barbie oh! to come out. <laughs> yeah, we we mightn't be able to have you on that week, John. Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, if no one has any other items or bizarre toys to report, it's time to award another red card to something or someone in the toy universe. What is this bizarro world? Red Carded is a chance to poke fun at the WTF moments in our hobby, be they unusual announcements, a complete fail action figure, or worse. And I have the red card this week, so I will be handing out the penalty. And this week's red card goes to DC Collectibles. 
And it's actually for something that they did on their Facebook page this week. For the last couple of weeks, they have been uh, showing redacted images of pieces, you know, small sections of figures or statues, um, one a day for a few days leading up to a reveal. And the the last one that was revealed was the um, Simon Baz, Green Lantern, Baza. Uh, got, got, got revealed on there. And then they started another one this week with a red boot and then something else that looked like a sword. And I got really excited for a moment because I thought it could be the new katana, which would be really cool. Um, and then after five days of, oh, you're not going to believe it, it's going to be so excited. It was, you know, uh, really exciting because it was a character that no one's ever done before, Harley Quinn. Yay. Yay. And it wasn't mm. even a comic version. It's an Arkham City Harley Quinn statue. So we've already DC collectibles in its, you know, youth as a new, new entity. Um, has already given us a, giving us a Cover Girls New 52 Harley Quinn statue. And now we're getting a Batman Arkham City Harley Quinn statue as well. Um, which is, is fine because I understand she's a popular character, even though she's not um, one of my favorites. But to kind of spend five days teasing another statue of a character that they do all the time, I was pretty disappointed with. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think the thing for me is that I don't have any uh, affection for this character at all. Uh, I mean, to me, Harley's costume uh, is iconic. The the red and black with the white highlights, um, just it, it's just a superb design. And to me, that's Harley. And I understand that they they do everything from Elseworlds to to variations for video games and that sort of thing. But the fact that they've given Harley such an overhaul in the new uh, DC new. Um, it just it's not working for me at all. I just think she just wasn't a character that needed that overhaul. Hmm. And the Arkham City version is more is closer to the New Fifty Two version than um, the comic version, obviously. But you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's it's a great design. She looks fantastic. Yeah. But I just you know they could have introduced that character as somebody else. Hmm. Exactly. I wonder. I wonder if they're trying to cut in on the the Kodo Bukia type. You know vampy girl type collectors a little bit with this. I'm just not liking, and obviously we only got one angle of this statue, but uh, the composition of these pieces, just like the cover girls, new, new cover girls pieces, you know, put aside the fact that they're the new designs, which I'm not fussed about. I'm just not actually finding the poses very um, dynamic. They just seem awkward. And this one, yeah. this one does too. She, you know, not, I can't tell what she's doing. She looks like she's grabbing her boobs and bending forward. I'm not sure. Like, a... yeah, I'll refrain no. from commenting. Some people might find <laughs> find that appealing. I don't know. <laughs> I think what's what I don't like about this particular situation is that. The, the video games have sold extremely well, the most successful selling superhero video game ever. Hmm. Uh, and so clearly there's decisions at the DC offices that um, people need to uh, have that, um, I guess, 
that that recognition uh, of the character. So if those video game players got inspired to go and read the comics, then they wouldn't actually recognise Harley, so she looks completely different. So there's that need to tweak the comic book versions to more closely reflect the other media. But I'm still dubious about this whole tweaking things to to bring in new readers. I mean, if you suddenly get uh, an increase of, you know, say, 10% uh, of comic readers picking up DC Comics um, and they go, oh, yeah, that's Harley Quinn. What about the other guys that were already reading the comics who now have one of their favourite characters changed significantly? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's a, a big, still a big, I don't want to say mess because obviously a lot of people are enjoying it, but it's that whole thing of you know, so many things that weren't broken that have been quote-unquote fixed in this process and, that, and that's definitely one of them. Um, but this just got up my nose because the, you know, to me, five days of, ooh, what is it? Oh, how exciting. And ending up with a character that, um, you know, gets so much exposure was such a letdown. I think I worked, I worked out by the day before, oh man, it's Harley Quinn. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> but I guess a lot of people, I suppose, are, um, you know, are excited by that. So there you go. Yeah, well, good luck to those four people. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be a pass. Uh, I'm, I'm a definite pass, absolutely. All right. Well, DC Collectibles have another red card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, coming up after that deserved fail is our discussion with our special guest, Mark Newman. The Incredible Hulk meets Spider-Man. Each figure a foot tall and fully posable. All you need is a piece of string. This is a job for the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with a face that's mean. Lots of muscle and skin that's green. Superhero Hulk. Good job, handsome. The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man from the Superhero Collection. Each sold separately by Mego. Well, we're back with our feature discussion, and as we mentioned, our guest today is sculptor Mark Newman. We are delighted to have Mark on the show and really pleased that he has agreed to chat to us. If you are a fan of Bowen Designs or Sideshow Collectibles, then you definitely know Mark's work and probably own it. I didn't actually realize until I started researching for this just how many pieces sculpted by Mark I own. I own a lot, and so I've got a lot of questions for him, and uh, my wife might have a couple of questions for him too about why we are so poor um but but first of all mark welcome and thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks for having me guys and uh i guess just to you know give a a starting point perhaps for people that aren't familiar um with your work can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and um what you primarily do yeah well i'm a i basically consider myself a commercial sculptor um or I can just say sculptor, but I uh, do a lot of work for the collectibles industry or uh, m- pop culture mostly for like Bowen Designs, uh, a lot of the Marvel characters um, for sideshow collectibles. Um, I've I've worked for many other companies kind of growing up that's changed, you know, changed names and properties that change company names. And um, so mostly into the, yeah, the collectible painted figurine uh, realm, a little bit of work I've done in the film industry, doing some character designs here and there, not too much of that. I wish I did more. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, And my own fine art when I get a chance, uh, 
started casting my own bronze work probably 10 years ago or more now. And when I get time, I do more. But I really, I like like the uh, collectible industry. It's just a lot of fun with the fans and, and the properties I get to work on and play with clay all day. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so where, where does your career begin? Like what, what's your training or experience background in and how long have you been doing this? Um, well, mostly I've always drawn and uh, played with clay as a kid growing up and stuff. And so I always knew I wanted to do something in art. And out of high school, just went to art school, uh, Academy of Art in, the, in San Francisco back in, oh boy, 83, I think. Um, and uh, so I just took art classes and um, was really into cartooning kind of style. And so I found uh, after... After art school, I was in there for illustration, actually, an illustration major, um, and started doing a lot of kind of Halloween makeups and, and um, uh, my own masks, latex masks, you know, for years, you know, growing up. And always liked sculpture, but never saw it as a career. But uh, so when I graduated art school, I was t- just getting into sculpture and realizing, wow, I just spent all this time learning illustration. And <laughs> now what am I going to do? I don't, I don't like the flat t- 2D art. <laughs> no. Um, so no, I just started sculpting, uh, finding a job at this little gift company doing ceramic mask designs and just doing those kind of real simple faces kind of that hang on a wall. Um, and just started finding work in the collectibles industry and liking, uh, just liking the medium a lot better, so kind of just fell into it. Really, I, I self-trained mostly with uh, with the sculpture. That's fantastic. So, so, where was that foothold into the collectibles industry? What started all this off? Uh, it was well, that company did. Uh, they wanted to also produce a, a fantasy line of wizards and dragons and stuff, and I thought that was so cool. So, I wanted to be a part of that, and uh, so I started doing drawings and showed them some drawings and they were really cartoony and really wacky characters and originally they weren't thinking that style but then they really liked it so i did a couple sculpts um and they started to like it and there every every character had a little crystal it was called crystonia this line and so basically kind of jumped in like that really um you know in my early 20s uh end up going to england actually with this company to find a, a factory to produce this stuff um, and so I was kind of just hit the ground running in that sense, not knowing the business end and, and ultimately got kind of screwed over the whole deal throughout <laughs> years of work, a couple years of work or more. And, mm. But kind of, you know, new other companies or new venues and how to, how to approach that industries at that point. So mm. kind of got a little bad taste in my mouth originally just because the raw deal I got, which every artist I think has their... Uh, you know, they got me on that one. I'm not gonna let that happen again. You know, with to do with contracts and how to set up a work. You know, whenever you're working with yeah partners yep. and whatnot. But um, anyway, yeah, it was kind of an early start in that. So hooked up with other companies doing other stuff and kind of just you know always kept busy in it. Didn't do a lot in the, the comic book or pop culture stuff till later. It was mostly mainstream stuff I did that was kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> Carousel horses that were miniaturized, you know, for collectibles and um, Christmas ornaments for Hallmark, just, you know, and just kind of stuff like that that was still fun in 3D, but not as real, not as cool as, you know, all the 
comic book stuff. <laughs> Are you actually a comic book fan, Mark? Do you keep up with? Um, not, you know, not extremely. It's it's kind of odd in that sense because uh, I remember as a kid though, some so I all of a sudden got a Spider-Man subscription in the mail, and I don't know where it came from. I kind of I was taking a cartooning lesson from this one guy named Al Wiseman who used to draw Dennis the Menace cartoons. It's a Sunday morning cartoon in our paper here. It used to be that under the name Hank Ketchum, who drew it. Anyway, oh, yeah. took oh, lessons yeah. from me. I, I thought it might have been him, but anyway, he never said he did. But, <laughs> and that just inspired me to draw from those, just draw the characters, you know, draw and start drawing those, you know, the circles to make the superhero shapes, you know, muscles. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sort of trying to design my own character and stuff. <laughs> I did this one, I just called it Black Widow, because I thought it was a spider character. Yeah, and so I made my own dude in Black Widow, and then not until years realizing Black Widow was a female spider. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I sort of fell into it that way, and then I, I read the comic a little bit, but I, never, I love the art of all the comics. I go to the sh comic book shops and look at all the graphic novels, mostly just read with my you know eyes, taking in all the visual stuff. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is, you know, simple but good way to go. <laughs> cool. So, so do you, what was your first uh, superhero piece? Because obviously, where we know you from is from your work with Bowen and and Sideshow. Um, so, what was the entry into the superhero sculpting? Uh, I think the first one actually was the uh, Wolverine with Bowen Designs, and I was even trying to remember the year that was, but I couldn't. Ah, that's that's one where he's um, climbing over the rocks with his claws facing down. Yeah, it's, I look at it now, going, "Oh God, that's it's atrocious." Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I started it, um, and when I did it, I was actually a lot larger. I, I wasn't keeping the scale true because I'd never had any bone pieces. And you know, Randy and I were friends for years, and and then he, you know, we lost touch for years when he started his company up, and um, so we're back in touch anyway. So. Um, I think the first one I did, I had to start and do it again, so I did it a little shorter, and it even turned out to be still a little too big, so I, I don't know if you had it panned down at one point, you know, like molded and forced shrunk in, a, in that sense, but it just looks really off to me, but anyway, sorry, that was my very first one. <laughs> <laughs> and is that one that was produced as a mini statue as well? Um, I think they did, but I wasn't yeah. involved in that, because that was done later on, yeah. Um I, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I, I it sounds familiar. Yeah. Is there one around? Have you seen one? Um, yeah, I have. I, I, Bowen went through a little phase with some of the X-Men um, statues of producing mini versions of them, and I'm pretty sure that the Wolverine that they did was a version. In fact, I think they did uh, two different versions of brown and the brown yeah, costume right and, yeah. and yellow costume. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was actually at a time when Marvel and DC were uh, producing competing uh, items because uh, a lot of the DC statues, they also produced the mini versions as well. Mm. Mm. Okay. So you mentioned that you are a, you've known Randy Bowen for a long time. How, how did you meet him? Uh, we met, oh, it was probably, uh, probably in the late or mid-'80s, I think right after art school, which was about 86. So... Uh, just kind of met through another friend uh, who liked Halloween masks and stuff like that. And he lived actually near me in the area um, at the time. But we kind of started sculpting together, doing our own little garage kits. He was, I think at the time, when uh, he was working on his Predator garage kit that he put out. I think the very first one, or the very first Predator he did, at least. 
Um, and so we just kind of hooked up different times and kind of, you know, worked on, he actually worked on some of the stuff from that fantasy line, the very first one I worked on. We another, started another line to try to work on you know, the stuff from England. And he worked with the guys that I met before. They got messed up with, I mean, you know, screwed over, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's a long time ago. And then, yeah, he, then we, you know, started working for, or when he moved out, when he moved to Oregon, he started working with Dark Horse. And that's when we sort of lost contact because he wasn't around anymore. It was close by. So, um, yeah, so 15 years went by or so before, you know, we just started talking together and then went up and saw his place and saw what he built and was quite amazed. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I mean, really. <clears throat> but yeah, I started working back with him before we, I met up with him again over there. But uh, yeah, he's, he had a lot of work and I was happy to do it. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. a friend like that. Yeah, <laughs> good friends to have. Yeah. <laughs> so if they can give you work, very good. Yeah, because there were times where, you know, it, I was always freelance. And so there were a lot of times where it was kind of dipping and, and, you know, the actual work coming in and timing and stuff of projects. And and he just said, yeah, anytime you want to do work. So it was kind of filling in a lot. And then it took actually a major point or portion of my years for a few years in a row, at least, hmm. uh, of work. So it was really it was really great. So, Mark, you've obviously been doing this for quite a while now, and one of the things I've noticed uh, in in my statue collecting um, sort of hobby is the the change to statues. They they've evolved to the point where they're capturing a lot more detail uh, and that sort of thing. Have you sort of noticed those changes throughout your career? Oh yeah, I mean, just uh, from the stuff. I think what we used to do, like all of the guys that started or fueled the uh, garage kit industry, um, just their independent little guys like us that were just in our basically garages making uh, these cool monsters everybody wanted. And mm. um, it's kind of like, let's out detail each other, you know, when we're doing that. <laughs> I mean, the, Andy would put that netting on the Predator. That first one he did was just, oh man, that yes. was a lot. And stuff like that, just kind of different ways of sculpting. I think that kind of fueled the uh, other, you know, the bigger mainstream companies to kind of, kind of just push it more. And um, yeah, you know, and from the action figure stuff, which was before the higher end collectible painted statues, you know, that there was a lot of detail in that stuff. But you know, just kind of limited in uh, the way they produced it and things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we're to follow on from that, I, you 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 do a lot of stuff that's very very dynamic, and and I'm an engineer by background, and I I have to say, um, I, I got to ask the question, um, how do you figure out the center of gravity for some of these things? Because I, I'm looking at you know a couple of these statues, and I'm like, I don't know how you'd ever get that to stand up on end. I mean, is that just kind of by feel, or um, how do you yeah. kind of go about yes. that? Well, it's a lot because um, it is odd because, I mean, I always love the the feeling of, you know, something that looks like it's off or how can that balance kind of like that on its own. But, of course, a lot of these are attached to bases and they have rods going through holding it. But a lot of them, I design that they can stand that way. And um, I don't know because it's as you're sculpting, you're on an armature, which usually an arm comes off the back, either a pipe come out the back or a wire, thick wire coming down and then attached to a base. Sometimes it, something's attached through the feet onto a base up and you're sculpting on that. 
but if it's you know off to the side, you know you're, you can't really see the or test the balance because it's always attached to something else. But it's, I, I think it's a feel of trying to always imagine like the foot, you know, if a figure. If you're standing up with one foot or all your weight on one foot, you know, drop a plumb line from basically your head down to the floor, and that's where your foot would touch the ground to hold the weight in balance. And I don't know, just kind of visualizing that and uh, just trying to trick the eye and seeing stuff like some of the using a lot of S-curve or um, spiral kind of in, in design as a, from the floor up. Hmm. Like, uh, I guess there's one called Ramayana did for Virgin Comics. It was uh, one of their, um, an Indian uh, kind of a blue, um, either god or folklore, I don't know what they call it, but uh, a character that flies around and he's, uh, he's on this big sash that comes off his belt. And, it swoops around under him and it's all attached to that and without the base that thing stood on its own anyway but of course it's wow. very precarious uh-huh. so they had attached it to a, a base so it wouldn't break and have to rebuy another one <laughs> <laughs> that, that is but, uh, impressive yeah I've always kind of liked that um, that sort of corkscrewy design in a, in a piece just to keep it balanced and keep in it. and you know when you're spinning it around you want to see interesting from every angle and um so you're always kind of thinking of that too, but I appreciate you noticing that. And yeah, I always tried to keep that kind of dynamic flow and anything I do. So speaking of, of sort of poses that the pieces take, um, can you give us a bit of an idea how you, you undertake a project? Um, one of the examples that comes to mind is uh, the classic Luke Cage uh, figure and uh, you, you sort of the first thing that comes to mind is you know how do you how do you make a guy in a, a yellow shirt and tiara you know look cool <laughs> i know the first design i always look at you know those old designs kind of crack me up a lot these days just oh yeah <laughs> you know wow they're dancing they're dressing a little fancy these days <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i it's kind of it's it's interesting i i, I don't know I, I think randy asked me to do that because i was doing the ebony vision line a lot and that's designed by an african-american artist and i do you know it's all african-american uh characters so he thought yeah. let's have more of this and, and it was yeah just basically finding a cool pose you know like uh we wanted something you know just it kind of was obvious of the cross arm i think randy wanted that to begin with but uh you know that's another piece i'm kind of wish i can redo in some sense i kind of feel that way about a lot of pieces but uh um, oh, that's just a shame. I, I love it. It's it's one of my favorites. Great. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, the mini bust was first. I did, and then the full figure. But yeah, the same butt or uh, same pose. Um, but yeah, the uh, I don't know. Just yeah, I was thinking in the '70s what was the cool thing, and that's what it was, of course, and that's why they designed it. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. kind of went uh, stuff online, just fashion in the '70s, and yeah, tried to. Yeah about it <laughs> so uh, you, you obviously sort of talk about um you know a little bit of research for some of your pieces so do you do you have a preference for um having like a, an established history or uh, a rapport with the character that you're working on or are you happy just to come in fresh and don't have that that sort of history or the baggage um well actually yeah because i again not being a real avid uh comic reader or anything or knowing the characters was is always kind of okay i gotta find out who this is i really didn't know a lot of the characters and the ones i did know i just you know knew of them and not the story so it was kind of fun going to the bio pages and at least a lot of the comic characters and to read up on them and just kind of find out yeah any kind of nuance of any sort always helps either subconsciously or or not in your work um 
And a lot of times, it's the way Randy always would do it too, is, uh, is to put, you know, this, the, the uh, in-progress shots on the forums and getting feedback from the fans, you know, mm. especially the super fans are the ones bickering on the, on the forums always about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely another question I uh, I had, and uh, you know that is you know comic book fans are a pretty vocal bunch, and uh, to the point of being sort of anal retentive, and no, so what are you talking um, about? when you undertake <laughs> a, an iconic character, are you conscious of the fact that you just can't please all of the people all of the time? Yeah, I've realised that um, very quickly actually, um, but uh, of course, and it's but you want to hear that too at the same time to find out what what are the things that you know you didn't address or realise and. And a lot of the times, well, the one comes to mind is the Spider Woman. It's a fairly recent one I did with Bowen. Mm, mm. She's sort of sitting all posing on a uh, the gargoyle, and you know everybody was like, at first they were thinking it's it's not her character. She looks like she's posing for photographs, and you know, you know kind of just in her own. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, and I didn't know the character that well at all. I just liked. The design, you know, I try to keep a sort of Art Nouveau. I'm always kind of rooted in Art Nouveau when I'm designing or hmm. working on something. So, yeah. you know, I think design first. And, and then a lot of people like the design at the same time. So there was an ex- kind of, you know, you got both scales or the extremes of liking it. So it's it's kind yeah. of just the, the most popular. And, and I think that's a great Also, example. it's the time, like the era. People want a certain era of character um, in yeah. a certain. Oh, absolutely, oh. absolutely, yeah. I yeah. think that's a great. Oh, I think that Spider Man, uh, sorry, Spider Woman, was just an absolutely stunning piece. I just uh, congratulate Bowen um, for thinking outside the the box on that one. I, I think the, the finished piece is just beautiful. Yeah. I, I do, nice. I do own that, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's one of the favorites in my collection um, of the Bowen stuff because it's different. Exactly. Yeah, so- Kind of what I was doing. I, I actually did a bunch of just sketches, you know, and and a, a couple of them were a little more detailed. Of course, that was the one I liked the most, and and they were all kind of you know posy, loungy sort of. I tried <laughs> just to make it different than the museum pose or the action, all action all the time. Or mm-hmm. and he, you know, Randy liked the ideas, and he thought, yeah, this one's kind of nice, and mm-hmm. let's just go for it. So that's what I like about working with Randy. It's it's not a lot of uh, committee or. You know, well, these are whatever the people are saying. Let's change this. You know, he'll he'll still (laughs) kind of thing. So So, (laughs) even though he listens to it all, and he'll you know, of course, if you ignore all that, you're you're not going to please your your fan base. So (laughs) I I was interesting that you mentioned the way that he does put things out, you know, for feedback, which is one of the things that I love about collecting his work. But I do wonder how that affects you creatively when, you know, stuff is still in process, you haven't finished it, and people, you know, who may or may not have an educated point of view are, you know, making comment on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I never, you know, I sort of got or uh, found out about the forums when I started working with Randy and doing this stuff, and um, he was saying, well, go on here and check out, um, I put this on to get some feedback, and, you know, so he was telling me to go to these and and see what people are saying and and he asked for anyone have reference on a certain character hmm. uh throw it throw it on the forum so we can you know get working on it so you know they would research stuff for for us as artists and for randy too and i mean it was great for in that sense too so i was on there reading and then realizing wow a lot of these people you know they, they, <laughs> they don't realize people can read this <laughs> that's right uh, i kind of got 
back and forth and uh, on some stuff. Just it was more fun for me, and not like I wasn't very you know totally offended kind of stuff on the bad things because you know you hear a lot of positive, which sure. outweighs any bad stuff usually. But uh, well, one of the ones that certainly comes to mind is the uh, sideshow storm premium format statue, uh, which both Scott and I have pre-ordered from Sideshow because we just think it's absolutely stunning. And I think that's got to be one of the classic examples of of internet um, internet fandom at its um, most um, I would almost even say repugnant. I remember when on a particular forum that I'm not a member of, I do uh, cruise in from time to time, and when I think it was uh, a single proto uh, shot was was shown the, um, the the vitriol that came forth, and uh, and then by then you sort of go to the the end of the thread and you've just got pages and pages of people saying, "Oh, I love it! It's fantastic! I've ordered this!" and "What a shame I, I missed out because it sold out!" and that sort of thing because the the final photos had been revealed. Do you, do you ever sort of um, you know, do you feel the urge to get on there and try and correct some misconceptions or even just sort of say, guys, just, just wait, you know, just give it a chance. I, I did exactly that because I was reading that too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm laced within those pages with my comment. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I couldn't reveal anything or talk about anything because a lot of times sideshow, or at least people say they've done it at least in the past is showing their first shot of something. Yes. Usually not at a right angle, you know, like some, the p- person who photographs it is obviously different thing, you know, than the person who designed it, did the, at least the key drawing and that I work off or sometimes or anyway. So they get the, the quite, not quite the right angle sometimes and that's what'll do it. And that's what did it with the storm. I think they, they've shot the one with the face with the eyes all white, you know, and, and at that certain angle, it really looked odd and, uh. I kind of admit it. I'm looking at it going, yeah, that, that would kind of, and so people just were trashing it. And as soon as they finally, I think announced or officially said, you know, here's a shot of it. Then I went on and put the actual sculpture shots of it. You know, the multi, you know, about three or four angles of the different heads as the raw, you know, gray sculpture. And suddenly it started to turn around. People like, Oh yeah, look at that. (laughs) Get the paint job. Right. And then they started, you know, um, talking about in that sense so you know it kind of steered it that way and some people still didn't like the structure of the face the eyes are too wide and googly they're saying and you know I, uh. I sort of design in that sense i like the wider set eyes for women sometimes sometimes too much i guess but it's kind of the old classic structure i guess look for kind of the hollywood face anyway but um and then yeah it sort of came around because it, it was it was kind of an extreme look for her i think but working with uh, thor Badendick, he's the one who designed it uh, and did the print art for it. Uh, it was interesting talking back and forth with him, and we were specifically talking about the face and the, the body type. Wanted her more, you know, more uh, voluptuous, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and just you know, real stoic. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people forget that she she is actually meant to be Kenyan. So, you know, I think you've really captured sort of the essence of of you know, that that trait. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Now you, you, you uh, did bring a, me to a question. Um, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Problem. No, I just said that was a fun little banter online on the forums about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. um, you were talking about, you know, you show a lot of stuff on your, you know, uh, DeviantArt page and stuff in the gray sculpt. How hard is it to plan ahead for what it's going to look like painted? That That's something in my head that I, 
I, I can't quite grasp. I mean, how do you visualize that? Yeah, I usually don't have anything to do with the painting um, on it. I, you know, you know what the colors are when you're working on something. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I do the sculpture basically, uh, and hopefully they get the. A lot of the paint is in the face and getting those eyes focused in one spot. You know, not kind of slightly off because that can totally ruin a piece. Which, you know, a lot of people see that when it's painted. Anyway, uh, so I really don't think. Yeah, I wish you know. Some, I painted some of the pieces, my own stuff I do, and I think about it in that sense. But, yeah, a lot of the production or the sideshow and bone stuff, I, have, I really don't have anything to do with the paint. Mm. So it, it, when you think about... Without, but, uh, you know, sometimes. I mean, you have to have these painted. And a lot, of, you know, a lot of the production painting is actually very well done. It surprises me. But earlier on when I was working on some lines, it, it's just... If you don't keep that quality, it, it can really destroy a sculpture. Mm, mm. So when you're working for Bowen or Sideshow, how does a, a project come about? Are you just assigned the character? Um, how much guidance are you given about what they want it to look like? Um, you know, wh where, where does it begin? Uh, well, with Bowen, it's, well, it's fairly similar with both. But with, with Randy, it's... Uh, um, it was, he's usually let me do a little drawing if I wanted and design it or have just, okay, this one's got to be a museum pose. So something that's similar to, you know, feet not too far apart and no, not a lot of action. So just basically he needs kind of a loose drawing to show uh, Marvel to approve. Hmm. And so it goes to them just for, okay, looks good. It doesn't have to be tight rendered and explain every angle at all. Uh, so that's that's kind of loose and nice. Um, sometimes it is a specific drawing um, to, to design with sideshow. A lot of times, yeah, they have in-house uh, concept designers who do from either real tight multi-view drawings to you know sometimes just a loose gesture, depending how uh, specific they want to be. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of it is working. You know, got some freedom there, which is really nice. At sideshow, they give me a lot more freedom these days of. Well, we're not sure about the base, but, you know, we like what you do and just, you know, you can show us either a sketch or in-progress shots and we'll go from there. So it's been nice in that sense with um, some of the details. I'm working on a piece now. It's a woman. She's got some armor plates all over her. I can't tell you who it is, but um, they let me go kind of nuts with the, the details of the subtlety of the armor, which is a lot of fun. So there's stuff like that, which... Uh, I like if it was too blueprinty and follow this specifically mm. front side top has to measure right. That's that's just to me it's too technical. <laughs> when you you do actually finish uh, a piece and it's uh, finalized and, and and ready to go, uh, is that the piece that actually ends up sort of shipping off, or do you do you sort of cast and make a copy, or uh, what happens to the originals? Uh, for me, I, I don't do a lot of mold making. Um, I used to, and I know how to do it. It's just I, I don't want to, want to spend my time doing that. I have to. So I just get the piece all ready to be molded. Um, I work in the Super Sculpey, um, kind of the firm Super Sculpey and regular Sculpey mix. It's polymer clay. You can bake in your oven, and, and then it's size, and you can sand it and add to it. So it's very versatile stuff. So that that. At that point, after it's finished, I'll cut the piece apart where it needs to be to be easily molded and casted. Okay. Make make the joint parts to fit. So basically, it goes right to there. I ship it to the company, and 
uh, and basically it goes right to the mold maker and they cast. Okay. And, and you, um, you actually sculpt over styrene as well. Is that, uh, is that a weight consideration? Um, I don't. Well, I use styrene uh, in certain things. Styrene's that white plastic stuff that, you know, model builders use. Hmm. That's the stuff you mean, or do you mean styrofoam? Uh, I, I saw a couple of your pieces that were in progress, and you were sort of sculpting over the top of the foam. What do you mean? Yeah, those those were uh, more, those are bronze pieces that were being cast, and those are like, I think the ones you saw were the, the sports figures, like the gymnast, right? Yes, yes. And okay, that yeah, those those were bronzes. So those were sculpted in an oil-based clay, and, and that those are like almost half life size. Ah, okay. Uh, well, heavy, and it's it's not a permanent medium. It's something you sculpt, get it, and then you have to mold it, and then you cast it in something else. So basically, filling space instead of using heavy clay for something that size, you use chunks of foam on the inside. Yep. You know, just so that yeah, that that was that's not the same. <laughs> Really, I use for uh, the stuff. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. When you look back on the work that you've done um, on the superhero side of things, what are the favorite pieces of yours that that really stand out? Let's see. Um, I think one of my favorite comes to mind because I can see it. I don't have everything displayed. <laughs> um, I like. I think the Spider Woman actually is one of my favorite with Bowen um again it was kind of out of the box and and a lot of just had a really cool design to it um I'm trying to think with Sideshow what superhero well there was a couple I can't talk about they haven't released yet um I think the Vampirella was just amazing yeah that's another kind of favorite I saw the drawing it was really basically that was the drawing it was really the hair they made me or I, I was able to play with the design in that, but uh, and the skull I tweaked. They were uh, they just wanted this big demon skull like that. But yeah, that was a lot of fun, just pose and everything, and kind of tough here a little bit. It looks simple, but it was sometimes things don't match up. You know, if it's too complicated, hmm. feet you know, when it all goes back together with shrinkage of material in the production and things not lining up. But uh, that piece came out, and, I was, and Gollum, I think, was another favorite of mine. They did with Sideshow. The uh, he's the one on top of the long, tall <coughs> rock base, you know, with the ring. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that is a very, very cool piece. The paint is amazing. Yeah, I was really pleased with the paint on that. The eyes they got. I was, when I was finally. Uh, they used to give me a sample of each one I do, and you know, and uh, when I came in, yeah, I was really pleased with the paint on that. One of my favorites um, on the Bowen side has to be the Medusa statue um, and, and, and Black Bolt. I, I really love those. And the it, the engineering side of Medusa being, you know, elevated by her hair, I think is just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, that was actually another really fun one to, to work with because, yeah, again, it was just the hair is what she moves around on, and you know, I didn't know that about her at first. I'm like, ooh, that could be something cool. So <laughs> kind of squiggly drawings to figure out. Yeah, again, that it could stand without the base kind of thing. I, I think it can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, and de- designing those c- certain hair, you know, it's, 
some of the engineering I wish it did a little better or, or I wish it was executed cleaner was because some of the hair tendrils that come around, they were separate pieces actually because couldn't cast it as one. Hmm. Um, if, if you get more of those going, it's really, really nice, but it's just cost of to produce it. You know, if there are more pieces, it costs more. So you had to simplify it. Now, we're, um, we obviously want to ask you uh, about a, a few specific pieces, and uh, I imagine that when it comes to sculpting, there are certain elements that provide you know, challenges, obviously capturing the likeness of a specific person or obviously um, getting that, that symmetry in, in musculature. But the one that really stands out for me are the wings on Archangel, um, just the, the obviously the the detail um, in the lines, is, is that something that's very difficult to do? Um, yeah, you mean the, yeah, the hard edge wing one? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was actually out of styrene. That's when I, you were saying styrene, <clears throat> you know, the white sheet plastic material that yep, yep. builders use. I, I built them out of that because, I mean, I couldn't have done that in clay really because it's just such edge, clean lines, everything. A little tough to, uh, I mean, because I don't do a lot of model building, so it was kind of having to engineer more than just, uh, you know, work with free clay. Yeah. So. Is that the sort of thing that you look at in, in the initial designs uh, and you just think, wow, how am I going to approach this? Yeah, it was. And uh, especially doing this for Randy, it was, okay, I got to impress Randy. I like impressing. <laughs> <laughs> We're always that to each other it's kind of fun but uh and you know anything you know I, I, any new kind of material or new idea we work in we kind of always talk shop and ooh, that was cool we should try that and so <laughs> it's kind of figuring stuff like that out that because he's never worked with styrene a whole bunch either and you know it was fun at one point because it's a whole different way of thinking really but uh so that was just trying to come up with something that would uh and, and still not take up too much room, even though it does. But uh, we thought, what the hell? Some of the complaints were, <clears throat> how am I going to display this piece? You know? <laughs> uh, that's common with, uh, yeah, things like Angel and Archangel, etc. Now, do you, do you ever work um, digitally at all and then have it printed? Or do you pretty much just work in clay? It's all clay. I mean, I, I haven't yet, but I'm actually going to, going to a, a, a weekend... Um, workshop learning zbrush on uh, a couple down in la um taught by actually one of the zbrush designers and uh and another andrew kaus he's a anatomy guy he used to work at ilm for years doing a lot of character design for them and a digital master <clears throat> basically and so i'm gonna finally learn it um i was always you know kind of interested i loved it's cool and all that I just you know another total uh learning curve you know and different process altogether and i fiddled with it once or twice zbrush um and i know so i'm going to finally try to you know learn it fast track and see if i can more but it would yeah. in certain aspects of what i do it's just still the printing thing is um if it was like oh you can just get a like basically printers now for the computer when they were real expensive now they're you know the ink costs more than the yeah that's <laughs> trying so that yeah. embrace it better. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of uh, said brush, Mark, uh, do you know if the the process of of creating a sculpt in uh, the the digital format is is roughly the same as creating one in the traditional method? Um, I think more and more it is nowadays. I mean, the way they upgrade 
the program. Uh, it's it's more in, in sense of how, I guess pushing and pulling the material. Like um, they they try to get closer and closer every time to make it that that way. But I don't know a lot about it yet. But um, I would think it would be quicker to do it in digitally because for one thing, where you can sculpt one side and it automatically does the other side, which to me that's just golden. If we can do that in clay, wow. Get the, hmm. And then going back in later and maybe, you know, asymmetry, you know, go in and tweak it so it's not so symmetrical uh, to make it look more natural. So they have to go back and do that. But to get, a, yeah, the symmetry on uh, one side to the other, I mean, that's that's the quick part, I think. There's still the input um, and all that, which I don't know about, you know, much about the printing. And I, I guess preparing the file to take to a to printer to print it out 3D. Um, I, I'm not the guy to ask that, but... Uh, I still think uh, as cost effective, I mean, it's, I think it's getting closer where now it's probably cheaper to do digitally, but uh, the better part of the program, I'm assuming you can, you know, whip through some of this stuff. Cause you can start with basic forms. If you're going to do, you can start with a, you know, basically a muscle guy already there. And then you start tweaking the muscles. So you already got these files and you know, you know, I don't have a bunch of these rough clays hanging around. I can just, oh, yeah. let me grab quarter scale, you know, <laughs> six foot male. Here we go. And sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you're sculpting traditionally, how long does the process take? I mean, for, think about something like, um, you know, that spider woman or, or Medusa as an example. How long does it take you to get that sculpt together? Um, if, okay, it's, I'm usually working on a couple at once, you know, kind of sure, going yeah. back and forth on two different projects. <clears throat> So I'm trying to, it's, it's probably about three, three weeks or so, uh, if you work straight on it, you know, a good eight or 10 hour days. Uh, sometimes it goes into a month, depending how elaborate the base is or how much detail props and stuff. So, um, roughly that, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, they say, oh, we got two weeks or three weeks. Can you squeeze that in? And sometimes you can, but, um, it always inevitably inevitably goes over but uh so yeah and i just don't know what a, a digital artist how long it takes them i never i know some friends just, I said, you know, how long did it take you to do that because every time somebody asks me that i was like well you had up all the hours you know technically <laughs> you know three weeks but not that's not a three weeks worth of hours you know what i mean <laughs> it's just, yeah. that's how long it was You've um you've done so many sort of amazing uh, characters from the Marvel universe that I'd I'd love to ask you about like uh, Hercules and the Scorpion and uh, and more. But um, there's one piece in particular I just have to ask you about. And uh, can you tell us the story behind the peeing pug fountain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um actually we have pugs. We uh we have three of them now, but uh. It was just inspiration, you know. This is one of my own pieces I did as a bronze sculpture of a fountain. But originally, it was just to do a. <clears throat> my little dog would always jump up, you know, like because he wants some food, and just the way his butt would just crinkle up, especially a pug with his little curly tail. Her <laughs> back form was I just loved the way he stood up like that. So I just wanted to do a sculpture of him standing on his hind legs up like that. And as I was working, I, I, that's when it came to me: I, this should be a fountain. And so, yeah, asked him a couple of them actually, <clears throat> and just plumbed it up. And yeah, he just uh, he's a little proud peen pug out in the yard. Now. 
<laughs> that is a sensational piece. As uh, yeah, and I also saw the the, the photo of uh, poor Morty and his his little uh, wheeled rig. Yeah, that's that was basically modeled after Morty, and ironically, he you know his back legs don't work. He has a, a cyst in his sort of degenerated his mobility there just got numb and so yeah he slowly lost the, the will of his legs and i thought whoa that is just too creepy and weird because <laughs> like, you know he was standing proud on his hind legs you know when i you know just i when i honored him you know just basically fired to sculpt him and, and now it's it's just ironic he can't stand on his back legs but yeah that was uh just a fun kind of in between my <laughs> So, so no, no plans to. <laughs> oh, I think it's sensational. <laughs> no plans to mass market the peeing pug. What's that? No, no plans to take that to the mass market. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a limited edition bronze. I sold a few, but there's a company in uh, a few hours from here, a couple hours, uh, Lodi. That's a concrete uh, statuary company that's selling it as a concrete uh, version that pees. You know, so <laughs> it is available. <laughs> Fantastic. You mentioned that you've uh, done a few pieces for yourself, and uh, one of the, the first things that comes to mind is that I guess every person has uh, someone in their immediate uh, family or uh, or circle of friends that is a tradesman, perhaps, and and there's always that um, that temptation to ask the plumber friend to look at a leaky tap. Do you, do you ever have people? Who just you know uh, are tempted to ask you to whip out a life size Iron Man bust or something like that? <clears throat> Um, well, from, from family and friends, nothing like that, but I used to do, um, I did, uh, cake toppings, you know, for people for their wedding, you know, I do a little, for them, you know, in a certain theme, it wasn't the wedding dress and, hmm. and tux, you was something kind of fun that they like to do. So I did a family, things like that, or friends and, and then they started, you know, then as people getting older, starting to get married, I was getting asked by everybody and, <laughs> And, you know, they, they go, yeah, we can do it. It'll you know, probably take you a week or so or a few days. And I realized the time it takes. So, uh, you know, that was always – I did about eight or ten of those, actually. Which, and then it was uh, – I don't know. I think we know any more people who aren't married yet. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I always did it as a f- honor. And, and then that was their gift, too. So didn't have to get them a gift. Uh, <laughs> cool. That works out. Yeah. It was you sculpt me an Iron Man or a uh, – you know. I get fans like that emailing and what, you know, commission to do stuff like that. And I hope I don't seem rude if, if anyone has ever asked and never got to, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, the time it takes to do that. You know, if I gave them a price of what I normally charge, you know, which a company, they, they just, you know, there's no way they can afford it basically. Unless they're very rich. And the only way to get them, is, or the companies can produce them that way. Hmm. So anyway, now I want to ask about another piece that, that that's on there, and it's the fireplace around the bronze one at um, Skywalker Ranch. H- how did that come about, and does it represent something? Um, well, that was yeah, that was just uh, I got an email. Um, actually, it was on an old email that came through first, but email from one of the concept designers at Lucas ranch asking if i'd be available for a project and uh went down to find out what it was and it was um when it, it was his fireplace it's basically this 
it's just it's nothing to do with the film uh you know concept or any any star wars connection that george lucas has worked on or any of the movies it's um um it was basically an Nouveau piece that's going to go into one of the main uh fireplaces in in the main house which is one of the areas that where they you know produce the movies and it's huge uh beautiful mansion style uh art nouveau furniture all around um George collects all kinds of uh I mean he's got norm original Norman Rockwell paintings all around this place um Maxfield Parish paintings all these you know just real art you know, from the you know mostly uh surrounding around the art nouveau so they designed this thing just have just to kind of mimic some of the shapes in the room and the furniture and the hand carved mantle that went around this fireplace um so it was basically doing a bas relief for uh, vines and stuff that went around and was cast in bronze, put in place there. Um, the no, easily, it's a nice piece. I, I mean, I'd love to have that in my house yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know, first time I ever worked on something like that. So I, I, I was doing those sports uh, bronzes that we talked about earlier at the same time, and, and originally I just, I just felt overwhelmed that I. This is kind of out of my league. I was originally being honest with them you know, after meeting and getting back to them about doing it and sort of had to turn it down or, or you know, told them the reason I can't start it. And they said, there's no rush. You know, we, just, we used another guy originally and it just didn't turn out right. And we really want this right. And there's no time frame. So then I couldn't say no. You know, that's that'd been stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to figure out how to do this thing through but they actually wanted two of them another one was a different design a little simpler but still kind of had a poppies theme that was actually going in george lucas's bedroom uh and and this was going around this uh it's basically a, 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 a fireplace facade that goes on the front wall of a fireplace right before the opening of the where mm -hmm. the flames he had this hand carved white white marble um mantle that he had bought in paris like years before um, that he wanted in there and so this was kind of mimicking some of those and, and, and wanted it to look like it was done in the turn of the century you know during that style like uh muka you know and so he's always his design sort of after muka in, in the art nouveau era um and so yeah basically i had to bring i had to build this sculpture inside a carryable box and kind of two by four frame with uh Know, covers and I had to bring this on site uh, multiple times just to have them approve it and tweak it and change it and, and then I would bring it to the foundry and then I have to cast it from there and work with the foundry and deal with the shrinkage involved and so it's quite an involved project which you know but the foundry guys are great and you know really helped me work through it and working with Eric the designer and another uh, guy that worked with the ranch who was dealt with any sort of installations and stuff there very great and so it's just really cool experience. Plus, meeting George was really neat. <laughs> oh, cool. Wow. Looks good on the uh, the CV as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, so that was. I wish more came of that, like more stuff like that from there, but it hasn't yet. But hmm. yeah, that was definitely an interesting project. One of my favorite. Now you mentioned the Ebony Visions line before, and just looking at some of those. Uh, pieces on deviant art they are really beautiful and quite interesting you know what what is that line who's that produced by and how did that work come about uh well the ebony vision line is <clears throat> designed by an artist thomas blackshear he's a he was actually a, 
uh, instructor, one of the instructors uh, for a couple semesters at the, at the art school I went to, Academy of Art in San Francisco, and uh, got to know him there. But he was doing a lot of movie posters and collectible plate designs, really amazing artist, uh, illustrator at the time. Now he's more fine art. And he came with this concept of just doing this African-American-based uh uh, it's not really theme. It's just sort of the, that's the thing. And it's its own his own kind of uh, design to it. It's kind of, he calls it Afro Nouveau, which is interesting. <laughs> but uh, it's just is not. It doesn't depict history or or uh, any kind of cultural thing. It's just kind of its own uh, style to it. But uh, so it's it's basically he would do the drawings. Uh, he got a company. The first company producing it was Willett's Designs. He would do drawings and shoot model reference and have ideas, you know, what to put on them. So basically design these things, I would take, I would take it to a sculpture and, and then the company would produce it. So it started probably 18, 19 years ago now and um, just been working on it constantly uh, that time uh, during those years uh, and also doing the bone. So those, it was two, major, two or three major companies I usually worked with throughout my career. And this has been for, like I say, like 19 years now. And every year I do about seven or eight, maybe, sculptures, and they add to the line. Oh. Uh, they have other sculptures, do some of them. I can't do them all. Um, they have different um, sizes of different things and ornaments. So it's, it's became a quite a big property. And, and now Lennox uh, produces it. It's another company actually out in Pennsylvania. They do a lot of plateware, you know, China and stuff like that, but they're producing this now. The uh, the coming home piece, I, I I really love that one, and I actually like the unpainted version of it more than I like the painted version. I have to say, oh thanks, it, it, it's just a a really nice piece. Um, the the detail in it's fantastic, and the the emotion in it is just perfect. Yeah, that was that's really what we want to try to do with all these pieces in that line is is a lot because it's basically about family and emotion and uh i mean he's he's a religious guy too so there's some religious theme in some of them but uh you know it's all about the human sort of condition i guess or you know so it's that was important to get and so it was a lot of work striving to get that you know a lot a lot of looking at reference shots even online just children's faces i got you know we do so many children and you know women in this piece it's you know it really trained me to really look at subtleties of the human face you know to get that the hardest thing is to get a child to look you know like a child and and soft and sensitive looking and in a sculpture um it's so easy to make them look like a little person you know misproportioned and um so i think working on the ebony line really helped me get subtleties of of you know all types of uh of human beings <laughs> um and actually into the comic stuff and mostly with the sideshow stuff because a lot more detail and um you know it can bring that to it to a fantasy character and it, it really brings it to life you know where is your workspace is it in the same place that that you live or do you work separately from home that's in house we uh started um, in a small room here, but then eventually was able to add on a, a studio space. So I got <clears throat> studio space now. It's you know probably 15 by 20 uh, on a tall ceiling, so it's a lot of light. So it's just a room up here. Uh, it's it's attached to the house still, so the commute is just like six stairways, six <laughs> stairs. <laughs> Not much traffic. There's, 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Just to <laughs> snarl up on the in the hallway or the dog sleeping. I gotta. <laughs> Another piece uh, I, I just like to mention. Uh, well, actually, uh, not not like to mention, but um, one of the members of the podcast team who's not on tonight uh, doesn't cope particularly well with the the, the visage of the the Terminator T eight hundred endoskeleton. Um, whereas I, I absolutely love it. I just think it's one of the most effective designs uh, ever in, in cinema. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I just have to say that your um, your hog squeal, uh, particularly version two um, from the Spider Wick Chronicles, just freaks the bejeebas out of me. Um, can you can you tell us a bit about that one? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of two. Was it there was one was more of the bat looking, right? Yeah, and it's it's just it's hideously evil, and uh, I just. <laughs> Well, that see that the original designs of that um, in the drawings, the illustrations by Tony uh, uh, Tetrazzelli, I think his name is. Uh, they were a little creepier, like that. They were, uh, <laughs> and we tried to get that originally. Um, the first, the first concept done was done by Miles Tevis, concept designer, sculptor, and the effects. Uh, amazing piece he did, almost this life-size version, which is only three feet tall, really, in life-size. But uh, it was had this coat and ragged old boots and all this real stuff on it, actual props and you know and not not all sculpture but this thing was amazing and, and it was really creepy as hell and they really they didn't want that because it had to have some endearing quality to talk with this kid <laughs> so they had a couple different ideas and they weren't happy so they brought me in and just to, that was a one of the most fun projects too um freedom wise too was just here's what we have already what we don't want quite uh these are some elements we want um here's the original illustrations uh think of jack black meets john belushi and see what you come up with <laughs> so that was it. these little you know eight inch tall uh uh maquettes and the first one yeah i just went creepy creepy and uh i liked it a lot too that was my favorite <laughs> so i i guess as, as we start kind of um you know, wrapping up this discussion, just thinking about time. One thing I was keen to ask you was you mentioned before the Luke Cage um, Bowen piece that, you know, you look back at that and think you'd like to redo it. Are there any other examples of pieces that you look at and think that you would do differently if you were doing them again? Um, there's, well, there's some, I mean, a lot I would in certain sense, but then sure. at the same time, it was a, piece out maybe it wasn't too interested in any way and I didn't even want to look at it again so <laughs> <laughs> um uh not a whole lot there's you know little elements of certain things like maybe the face or uh ooh, the balance of that's off or um a lot of it's the paint which i have no control over sure. but uh um yeah i think i mean that's the only one that really comes to mind when i see that um, and i think the wolverine original because that's you know and a lot of this comes from the stuff i've done many years ago and since you know finely tuned and realize why uh what, what they call a learning curve so um yeah it's it's i think that's the only one that really comes to mind and do, do, do you have a display of um work of yours that's been produced it's just kind of yeah jammed up on um in shelves and stuff i used to have some displays downstairs but then uh you know my wife susan was you know it's time to move this stuff away oh. <laughs> let's put some real stuff out oh. anyway this is the real home no. <laughs> um, so when i did build on the studio 
had no excuse to had more space. So I had to jam everything up here. But uh, it's just kind of, it's not in a lot of display boxes or anything. And, and a lot of it isn't. I can't, I mean, after the years, it, it's all in boxes downstairs or, you know, I've sold some online or, um, um, so it's, uh, there's stuff around. Just take, if, if there's a flat surface that I'm not quite using day to day with work, it somehow gets a sculpture or something gets stuck there. <laughs> or uh, I have, you know, probably 25 uh, raw, um, you know, oil based clays sculpts just kind of hanging around. And it's, you know, when I get time, I just want to jam on some sculpture for a few hours and then, I, and then it sits there. And so a lot of unmolded stuff that can be. Uh, more taken care of but yeah it's it's kind of clutter not display (laughs) (laughs) at least that's how i see it sometimes i understand uh is there anything in particular that in terms of you know your work that we haven't talked about that you'd like to to mention we did we haven't touched on the bronze very much is that something that are you doing a lot of that at the moment or um, I, um, not a lot cause it's expensive. I mean, to do a bronze, I have to basically pay to get a cast in bronze, obviously. And it's, you know, um, I, I slowly started doing it probably 15 years ago, a piece here and there when I, you know, was making better, I was making royalties on, I do make royalties on the Ebony Vision line. So when it was doing well, it was affording me the time to, or the money to cast the stuff. So hmm. not as much now I have a few pieces out there are limited editions and I just put it online out there and every so often some guy you know contacts me or a person and and wants to buy one which is really nice so I have two or three guests like I say clay sculpts sitting here that I want to turn into bronze eventually but you know it's about getting a it, I think for a quarter scale kind of piece like there's one called the eel walker which is I think one of my it's one of my latest ones that I like a lot, and it's, it's I've been I sold about seven of those so far out of the twenty I'm gonna make. Uh, that cost me like uh, close to twenty eight hundred bucks just to get a casting. Wow! And Ooh. so you know I have to you know charge it you know double that at least or more. But um, um, so yeah, it's it's expensive to do. So it's I love the finished thing though, the permanence of, of bronze and just the it's just it's nice. It's just expensive. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, the fine art thing, I haven't pushed a lot and tried to get into that more. Um, it's just because of that reason. So, hmm. um, but I still love doing it when I get time, you know, on my own, like I say, I'll, I'll just start working on something and I like just the different kind of a clay cause that you use and there's different approaches to the sculpture than I would do working on a figurine. There's figurines a lot more technical with just the way you would sculpt it cause you're going to break it up for molding and. So you use a lot of different armature techniques and things <clears throat> in that sense. So it's, yeah, the bronze, I hope I can find more time and money to do it as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, do you, do you have a, a favorite character from you know, either movies or books or something like that that uh, you, you just keep thinking that one day you're just going to sort of sit down and, and sculpt the, the perfect vision of that character for yourself? Um, hmm. Not, not in that sense. I mean, I've always, King Kong was always a favorite, <clears throat> and I, I've done a few gorillas here and there, but not, nothing finished piece, really. I have, I've always liked that. Uh, I've, I, I, I think someday I want to sit down and do a nice, really a bigger, like a quarter scale version, or uh, I guess quarter scale him. Wow, that'd be bigger than the house still. <laughs> 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 a bigger 
version of Kong, I think, would be good. I always loved Gollum, so I was great. I, was, I did that. I did a bust or two of Gollum, my own design. That I think it's on the DeviantArt page. Um, it's kind of looking up into the kind of anyway. Um, and then I was able to do the uh, you know one for Sideshow. So that was I think one of the, one of my favorite movie characters that I was able to work on. Uh, but nothing stands out as oh I've always wanted to sculpt that guy or mm. I mean a lot to do my original stuff so it's you know like to sculpt that kind like my own dragon not necessarily that but my own version of something is is usually something I like to tackle you know yeah yeah what what do you like to do when you're not sculpting what do you do to like, get away from it all uh hmm I don't know it's it's so weird because that's all I do almost. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like. I used to fly fish a lot, and when I get time, I like to go out fly fishing. And I like to cook a lot, so I like to plan a weekend and maybe have a. I don't know. It's kind of domestic stuff. It sounds boring, but uh, you know, I used to ski. I, I've skied a lot for throughout the years, and I haven't had a lot of time to do that. So there's stuff like that. Just just a lot of getting out there, you know. And, um, stuff, but I don't know. I just like creating things, and you know, it's. I think it's mostly just finding a new something to to make. Um, and then, you know, I think trying to this digital sculpting. I think it's gonna be fun to try that as a, as a side. Like, I see that as kind of a totally separate thing. Oddly enough, you know, it's a whole different process. So I think that's gonna be interesting to try. So, if people are interested in finding out more about your work, where are the best places to look online? Uh, to find out, like, where to buy stuff? Or, or just, just interested in, in your sculpting and, and your career, I guess? Yeah, there's not... See, I'm my own website is just a shell. I mean, it only shows a few things. I had a guy put it up. I'm, I'm techno-savvy in that sense, and I keep saying I'm, someday I'll get to it. So I've picked, like, deviant art websites to post stuff, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of mostly where I post things. Um, usually, I just tell people if they, you know, you can Google my name under images, and everything, all this comes up, and they take you to the to DeviantArt, and and also, um, I I have Facebook. I I don't have a fan page yet. It's uh, my own, and it's kind of maxed out on the on the <laughs> people. <laughs> anybody, I'm such a whore. But, uh, <laughs> I can. Right, and just find out. But I got to change that over to fan. But I, I don't post as often there as, as I do under DeviantArt. So at, at the point, at, for this time being, it's at the DeviantArt website. And I guess it's marknewman.deviantart.com. I'm not sure what the. You can find it, right? <laughs> so it is, it, that, that's correct. It's marknewman.deviantart.com. Okay, yeah, just the gallery there. Yeah. And do, are you on Twitter? No, I'm not a, I'm not a Twitterer. Twitterer. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It is, uh, you know, Ben and I in particular, being the, the more statue, um, oriented people, obviously have been huge fans of your work for a long time and, um, and own, um, a lot of your work as I discovered. Um, it, but, uh, you know, it is a pleasure to be able to talk to you and to hear just a bit about your, your process and, we really appreciate your generosity in sharing with us. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I always like talking shop and every so often, you know, fellow sculptors call and we just kind of chat about it and it's fun. I mean, 
in here in the studio all day, kind of alone. It's it's fun to get out and at least get out this way, <laughs> talk to people. <laughs> so I appreciate the the offer. That's great. Well, look, thank you so much, so much, Mark. We do appreciate it. And uh, that wraps up our discussion. We'll be right back in a moment with some feedback before we wrap things up for good. Mutant Warriors, Rattaro, Soulsman, Prune the Destroyer, battle against Lion-O and the new Thundercat allies, Hatchiman, Snowman, Tusker Warrior, the battle is on for the Sword of Omen. Figures and vehicles each sold separately from LJF. Before we finish off, we have a bit of feedback from our listeners to share with you. If you'd like to hear your questions, comments, or suggestions on future episodes, email us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com, and you might just hear it read out. Uh, and the exciting bit of feedback that we have this week is that we got another five-star review at iTunes. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and uh, this one is nice and concise. The heading is Love It, Five Stars, by Fast Draw. And he says, great show, very entertaining and informative. And uh, I'm sure in very small print there, he also meant to say, and um, Scott is the best looking of the bunch. That, that would be it for sure. Um, and uh, that is from Fast Draw, who is at 4F45 on Twitter. And John and I think we know who that is. So thank you very much. Thank you. Very Indeed. good. And uh, we, we love getting... Feedback, but we especially love getting iTunes reviews, so please keep it up. It's lovely. Thank you so much. Now, you that brings us to the end of our episode 30. Um, hope that you've enjoyed it, and especially hope that you've enjoyed listening to Mark Newman. It was great to have the chance to talk to him. Absolutely. You'll be able to. Yeah, it was awesome. You'll be able to download future episodes of the podcast by going to actionfigureblues.com and clicking on the podcast tab or by subscribing at iTunes. And like I said, if you do go to iTunes, please take the time to leave us a positive rating and review. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, you might like to check out the reviews and articles there and perhaps visit some of our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, Big Bad Toy Store, and PopCulture.com who help keep the site running. When we're not podcasting, blogging, or doing other assorted hobby-related activities, you can find us all on the Action Figure Blues Forum at afbforum.com where Ben posts as Fish Milkshake, John posts as Engineer Nerd, and I post as Scotty. We would love to hear from you with any comments or suggestions for future Toys of the Week or discussion topics, and you can do it by emailing us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com, or of course by joining the forum and telling us there. You can also follow us on Twitter at AFBlues, and like the Action Figure Blues page on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. And with that, we are done. We have got 30 episodes in the can. Can you believe it? I, I can't believe it. I'm stunned. <laughs> I can. We're, we're good. We're awesome. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, the average life of a podcast is 13 episodes. I didn't think it was that many even. I said apparently. I thought it was like six. <laughs> I, I, I heard it somewhere. It must be true. It was on the internet. Oh, oh it must be true. Yeah. So, I mean, according to, to my statistics, we're at least, you know, like uh, um, double the average life of a, a podcast. And if we go by John's, we're, you know, at, uh, five times the life of an average podcast. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the end of the Action Figure Loose podcast. We don't need to do any more because we've, um, 
yeah, we've reached our, our goals. Well done, everyone. <laughs> That's true. Well, well done to you. Yeah, no, look, we'll come back. We'll do we'll do another one. And uh, But right now we're going to say good night. So thanks for listening and good night, Argentina. Good night, good everybody. Night. night, everybody. Bye. 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 You are listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 30, brought to you by actionfigureblues.com. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben. And John. We're three guys who... (laughs) 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 That was um, so understated. Uh, I I think... It's just just can't win. It was perfect. Ben. I actually thought Ben and John. It was just nicely done. It's like we were in a jazz lounge. It's like really relaxed. Uh, Jeez. Seriously. Someday I'll get to work with some professionals. Okay. <clears throat> We're not the ones that laughed. That's right. You're the ones that cause the laughing by being so low energy. Okay, so John, have you got a new sound for us? Yes, I do. And it happens to sound like this. <laughs> It's a bit quiet. Can you get it a bit closer to the microphone? Uh-oh. <laughs> Flat battery. Yeah, the the batteries. <laughs> you know, I tried it right before this, and it was fine. And um, <laughs> so. Ring, ring, ring. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it sounds like Batman trying to start the Batmobile. Yeah, and it's just slowly dying. <laughs> um, hmm. Well. <laughs> 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 the funny thing is, is that um, <laughs> I happen to uh, I happen to have a different thing that I was going to actually use today. Okay, and well. I picked it up, and the batteries were dead in it, uh, uh, so I didn't use it. Uh, <laughs> do you have any spare batteries? Yeah, maybe I do. <laughs> Oh, I've just recorded eight minutes of what? <laughs> now, here's the deliver. There could be blooper gold in there. Did we say anything funny in the last eight minutes? Mm-hmm. We talked about animals. Ooh. I might say that I don't think I can go eight minutes without being hilarious. <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks for agreeing. <laughs>